Hello and welcome to episode 6 of Gather Round, the podcast series sharing stories from Aberdeen Archives, Gallery and Museums. In this episode, Jenny Pape Carlyle, curator at Aberdeen Archives, Gallery and Museums, and Bruce Mann, regional archaeologist, talk about a rare Pictish stone which was found in the River Dawn just outside of Dice and is now in our collection. Hi, my name is Jenny Pape Carlyle. I'm one of the curatorial team at Aberdeen Archives, Gallery and Museums. Um, and today I'm being joined by Bruce Mann, who's the original archaeologist, um, and he covers Aberdeenshire, Aberdeen City, Moray and Angus, which is obviously an enormous geographical area to cover. And I'm sure Bruce has had sort of lots of fascinating stories unearthed um, within these regions. Um, today he's joined me to talk about his involvement in finding and retrieving a rare Pictish stone that was found in uh, the River Don, just outside of Dice. Um, so the stone's now in the our collections and you can see it at Aberdeen Treasure Hub. Um, so get in touch if you'd like to come and have a look at the stone. Uh, Bruce, can you tell us a bit about how the stone was discovered? Yeah, thank you, Jenny, and hello, everyone. Uh, um, this is going back in terms of a story back to 2018, um, 21st of July um, 2018. So uh, it, it's a while ago now. There's a few things have happened since then. <laughs> um, so I'll try and try my best to remember what, what happened, but um, uh, I guess the, the first thing is that, from, from my point of view, the, the story starts with inevitably um, early hours of, of a Saturday morning, because that's when all the best things and most exciting things happen is <laughs> when you're not working, when it's the weekend and it's um, early. So I think it was sort of back of eight o'clock in the morning and uh, Gordon Noble from uh, the University um, of Aberdeen uh, um, messaged me um, saying, there's been a new find of a, a, a of a picture symbol stone. Uh, what do you think? And had sent me a picture, um, and obviously very excited. Went yes, absolutely. Um, and it was um, Mr. McWilliams, uh, um, a, a very keen local fisherman, um, had been out and had found this uh, uh, this stone, and he'd contacted the university and um, James O'Driscoll, um, who was at that time a research fellow at the university. He'd gone out and, and had actually verified that the stone. As it was in the river, um, and therefore the, him and, and Via Gordon got in touch with me. So that's how I got drawn into it for a start, as it were. Mm. And how do you? How was it only discovered now? It's obviously been there for many, many years. Yes, uh, it it basically was that very, very dry summer. Um, so it the water levels were the lowest that um, I guess a lot of people have seen in a very, very long time. And the stone uh, where it sat was just um, in the water, normally completely submerged. And in fact, um, Mr. McWilliams had used this stone for many years to stand on while he was doing fishing <laughs> of that. <laughs> very useful. Uh, very useful, a good size uh, there, just just on the edge of the water, well, just in the water, but uh, I'm allowing him to cast into what is um, uh, a quite a, a well-known fishing uh, pool just beyond. And uh, he, um, on this occasion, uh, happened to be standing on the stone, which was out of the water for a change, uh, um, half out, and looked down and so thought that appears to be carvings below my feet. Uh, um, so he could have noticed that this was something different than that. So it was complete chance in terms of circumstance uh, uh, and that hot, uh, long, dry summer. That's, I mean, it's not something that you expect while you're just out fishing for the afternoon, is it? To look no. down and see a picture standing stone. <laughs> I don't. I. I mean, I have seen. They are rare, rare things. I mean, there's, there's. 
uh, I don't know what the running total currently is in in terms of the the knowledge of uh, of examples and that is probably somewhere between <clears throat> I don't know about getting over about 400 just under something like that in Scotland some um, so they're very very rare examples and to have a, a complete um, class one stone uh, um, which in this instance is, is basically an unshaped boulder with um, incised carving on it so it's the earliest form of, of um, these Pictish symbol stones um, the, you know to have one coming up it happens more often than you think. It's kind of one every kind of couple of years, it seems, comes up type thing. But there always seem to be quite random circumstances. But this is by far one, just about the best one I've ever heard of or been involved in in that in terms, in terms of sheer randomness. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's definitely a good story. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so what kind of, what teams were involved about and how do you recover a stone that's in the middle of a river? Um with great care or difficulty is this the first bit uh, um, I, this is where i um you know we were very in terms of the archaeology service for, for the council that we're, we're a small team there's only four of us covering uh the, the four areas uh but we are supported by wonderful colleagues and in, in museum services uh, within the area and um with Historic Environment Scotland, the National Museum of Scotland, uh, Treasure Trove, etc., and so on. So we have a, a sort of a network that we um, swing into action um, when required. So the first thing with this was was to go out and actually have a look at it uh, myself and, and sort of get a sense of is it definitely definitely old? It's not someone just had been out the weekend before chipping away on a stone and created something in that. <laughs> um, uh, so went out and you know you also have to by doing that you get a feel for how difficult a job this is going to be because one of the questions you have to ask straight away is is the stone actually in threat under threat could something happen to it or is it going to be safe enough for for the next next thousand well 1500 years something like that you know um <laughs> but it was fairly obvious early on that actually where it was it could be caught by other things it is going to be exposed once people know about it things could happen to it as well absolutely um, so yeah, so I had a, a, a you know wandered down for a start myself. Uh, that thing of um, you know wearing boots the, that were not you know suitable for a certain amount of depth of water, but even <laughs> with it being really quite dry, still wading into the river uh, <laughs> well over boot height and everything else like because you know you, you're gonna have to get wet on this stuff. You have to go in and, and see it and get muddy in that. Um, and and then you start to go right how big is this um you know it's about a meter and a half long just over it's about half a meter wide uh, um, about 30 centimeters um thick so it's only going to go well this is this is not something that i'm shifting myself or even a team of people this is going to require um, mechanical um, beans with strapping to, to shift it um you're in that little surreal moment as well because you, you you're, you're standing in the river going this is amazing this is something that you know apart from now three people have seen in the for the first time in all these centuries uh and i'm also in a you're trying to make a judgment call of going how soft is the bank the bank is is angled it's not hard bank is it undercut it's not is it will how close will the machine get potentially that to have those conversations afterwards i'm getting conscious that you know about 10 foot behind me is an angler because it's <laughs> it's just an, <laughs> an active fishing river still and there's this i mean if you're listening today, bless you, you you're absolute professional composite angler throughout. You didn't blink, you didn't turn around, you just someone wading into a river and spending a lot of time photographing <laughs> and looking at stone and going, ooh, ah, uh, and uh, making noises is an everyday occurrence, apparently, because 
just carried on. Couldn't care less. You, they were there to fish. thinking, oh, you're scaring off my fish. Absolutely, yes. <laughs> that, that, that must have been it. Going, oh, this is really awkward, you know. Uh, so you, can, you have this kind of surreal bits going on behind you. Uh, but you're there that, making that judgment call of, of how do you how do you recover this stone for a start? Um, uh, and so, you know, having done all of that and then put together, um, you, you, you know, I, I could head back write up a little report and fish out uh, maps and all the rest of it and sort of do a bit of double checking going this is definitely one we don't know about just in case something is you know <laughs> oh yes it was last spotted 200 years ago so like, this was definitely an unknown one um and then the um monday morning uh, um uh, i basically put the the written request into historic environment scotland there's a procedure that we follow in um kirsty owen uh, um, and the team down there that um we say we've got this hugely significant find um we believe it is um at, un, under well, at threat um and we could do with some assistance if that was possible um so in this instance they agreed with that and um therefore they have a um it's called a call-off contract uh, and they have a um, an archaeological contracting unit it, it, it varies um as the contracts vary across the years um but it was uh uh, AOC um, archaeology in this instance that had the call off contract so they basically mobilized a team and came up later that week to to recover it and we sort of had agreed a way of a methodology of how to use straps where to the access points were to get a vehicle across so a flatbed truck and a lifting crane and uh, and um, how to, to bed it down onto uh, um, the trailer and all the rest of it so nothing's getting bounced around or broken in that so it's, yeah. it's it's quite a slick process once it gets going yeah yeah i was gonna say it sounds like it was very efficient for what's quite a complex lifting operation on the, it, on the soft it, banks of a river yes i, I mean yeah because the, the you things can go could go horribly wrong very quickly in that and that you don't want to be you know next thing is is how do we get the digger out of the river along with the, <laughs> the, 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 the stone in that and actually it wasn't just a case of taking a stone out we also had to put a stone back in um, so the um, the Aberdeen Angling uh, um, Association uh, they were uh, very insistent that um, as the landowner of, of that particular stretch of the river that they didn't want anything to affect the flow of the river or potentially therefore the fish uh, pools and all the rest of it. So we had to find a stone of roughly the same size um, orientation etc and put that back in <laughs> to where we were taking this one out. Oh wow, uh, that's that's great. <laughs> yeah, so we so we had to had to source something from uh, from a, um, a neighbouring field and farm and that that everyone was happy with. And I mean, every farm was happy to get rid of big bits of stone wherever oh, they I'm, can. I'm sure, so, I'm sure they were yeah. thrilled if you said, "I'll take away this big rock." <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that so we ended up. Yeah, there was one went back in as well. So. <laughs> oh, that's that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I I I mean. Whether it made any difference, I have no idea. I'll leave that to professional anglers to 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 tell me. Um, but uh, yeah, at least we went to all the efforts to replace it. So. No negative feedback about the stone so far, I'm assuming. So hopefully nope. it's, yeah. it's absolutely yeah. fine. Everyone's fine. Yes, and um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, so I think once once the stone had been removed, obviously it went through the uh, the treasure trove process, which is how it's ended up um in the Aberdeen Art Gallery and uh, museum's collection um which is brilliant um I'll maybe talk a little bit about the treasure trove process actually so anything that's um recovered from the the ground in, in Scotland has to go through this um process so the treasure trove is um located within 
the National Museum of Scotland. Um, they work within that team and they um, sort of decide what will and won't be counted as treasure. Um, and then any chance finds, museums in Scotland can bid for those. So what we did was go through the, the bidding process and then we were awarded it. Um, and I think it finally reached us in, I think it was late 2019. So it is quite yeah. a long process to get all of that recording done and all of the paperwork complete. And also, because it's, it's also, it's not just a case of, you know, it's been taken out the river and it then sits in a, in a local shed for the next kind of 12 months while the legal paperwork still did that type of thing. It actually went um, that day on a trip down to Edinburgh, um, down to AOC uh, and then across to uh, to their their um, building down there and then across to the National Museum uh, of Scotland um, where it was then conserved and assessed from there so it actually went on quite a long trip uh, before coming back up to Aberdeen in the end so yeah absolutely so you'd mentioned Bruce that it was uh, an unworked stone but it's got um, the carving carved symbols on it can you tell us a bit more about sort of what what the meaning of the symbols on picture stones are uh, yes um <laughs> Oh, can I? Can I? There's a uh, an answers on a postcard to this podcast from anyone with any ideas. <laughs> um, uh, 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 I mean, in terms of the carvings themselves, so there's, um, like I say, you get effectively the classification of picture stones was sort of drawn up by um, Roman Lee Allen and, and sort of Joseph Anderson back in about 1903. There's a great volume called The Early Christian Monuments of Scotland uh, that sort of set the scene, as it were. And there was three classes decided. One was kind of class one, angular stones, not being worked in any way, and sort of incised symbols and nothing else on them. Class two then were um, uh, more of a sort of rectangular shape, I guess, large cross, um, uh, and then with these uh, earlier symbols included as well um, and sometimes with sort of Christian uh, motifs as well as obviously Christianity was taking an influence over the pics at that point um, and then class three was kind of there's no um, of these early Pictish symbols on them at all they're far more um, uh, there's quite a large variation of them. They can be very, very ornate. They can be uh, the cross slabs of kind of grave markers specifically that we, we were aware of what they're doing. Or uh, um, there's kind of a whole host of different types of bits at that point. So you have these kind of um, three rough classes that I think probably is fair to say that oversimplify the story of what these things are. But we still refer to them, you know, 100 odd years later, and here we are still talking about class one and two and, uh, and three as it were uh it is an easy shorthand to to lump them together um i think you know for class one for this one it, it was for a long time assumed probably sixth seventh century ad maybe fifth and then you know as work has gone on and, and particularly the, the work with the, the university of aberdeen and, and some of the work that's come out through um uh, some of the developer-led archaeology uh, results from commercial activity in that we're seeing this earlier creep back and I think there's some there's some really great research around at the moment that sort of shows the earlier stuff seems to be perhaps more second third century for when these um, symbols coming into play so is it something that's connected in with um, encountering uh, um, Roman script etc and that is this is this a way of I mean obviously we've got some of these stones also have ogham a very basic uh, form of, of, of uh, lines that make up a language as well uh, on them um, so you, you look at them and go there appears to be I mean obviously there's a, so lots of recurring symbols uh, in this instance it was um, 
uh, three circles with a, a crossbar um, going through the middle. Uh, there is a, a what's known as a mirror, so it looks like a an old-fashioned sort of handled mirror uh, uh, um, design as well. Uh, and then a, what's called a, a notched rectangle with a couple of spirals inside it as well. So three relatively common symbols. We've seen them lots of times before. Um, but are those combinations? Do they mean something? Um, uh, and uh, is it you know is it trying to be a name? Is it a tribal name? Is it uh, uh, a location? Um, there's all sorts of speculations. It's, it's not uh, in the past that some have been found perhaps with, with burials and things like that. And I don't think that's the case. I don't think it's anything to do with burials. I think it's more likely to be was territorial markers. If I had to, if I had to hang my hat on something, <laughs> I'd, I'd go down. It's probably something to do with that, uh, uh, marking um, places. Um, in terms of the, the the fine spot itself, it's uh, uh, if anyone sort of knows the area, if you if you drive out of Dice on the A947 towards Old Meldrum and you cross the bridge over the Don at that point, <clears throat> if you look down to your left, you, you can see the, uh, um, the the football pitches associated just with Dice down there, and, and it's just on, in that bit of the river, just a bit further along. If you went along that for a bit further, you would see. Um, uh, the ru ru remains of um, St Fergus uh, Carrick there as well, and that's got several uh, um, picture stones from, of different classes represented in that as well. So you have a known, I guess, picture centre of, of activity already within that area. So you know it's, it's less than a mile away. Um, so something was going on there anyway. Uh, a lot of these later, I guess, Christian sites come across and sort of take over. Uh, and, and supplant what is the, the, the picture stuff for a start. Um, so it could be something that's marking the edge of the territory for that, associated with something that, that with, with the one there. It could mark the crossing point for the river. You know, the river changes in that, and you do get shallow crossing points. So perhaps it was a, a marker of saying, you're about to go from person A's territory to person B's territory or something like that. It's uh, at the end of the day, my guess is as good as everyone else's. It's uh, we don't know. We just simply don't know at this point. Um, it is one of the great lasting mysteries of of early medieval, uh, well, Iron Age and early medieval archaeology, and that for 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 Scotland, we just don't know the true meaning of what these symbols are. Absolutely, and I think it's that we can have that debate. I think is great, and I think that that guess is as good as any. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's also you know we we all, we think of it in terms of symbols on stone, uh, but you see these symbols getting replicated on silverwork, for instance, uh, um, as well. Um, it could, they could have been, you know, on all types of clothing, huge numbers of wooden designs perhaps out there existing that have rotted, long since rotted away and gone away. The clothing as well have disintegrated, not survived. Could have been things like tattoos, you know, little paintings, or there's a whole host of things where these symbols might have been just everywhere. And the tip of the iceberg is all that survives in terms of the stonework. Or they were just as rare as anything. And it's, you know, there was a few few big markers like this and a few bits of silverwork, and that was it. We just don't yeah. Know. Absolutely. I mean, I guess the, the nature of stone and silver is it's much more long lasting, even in the, yeah. the conditions in Aberdeen mean that wood is preserved really well in an archaeological context, but not not that well that it's going to preserve absolutely everything. So no, we, we're still waiting for that wonderful from that right period that uh, a find uh, or, or from a nice 
peat bog somewhere or something like that or a waterlogged deposit of the right thing that will kind of crack the code perhaps but um yeah not yet <laughs> no well finger fingers crossed that um, yes, something yet. will will come up at some point just, soon. just not on the weekend that'd be quite nice <laughs> normal <laughs> nine to five working hours please everyone yeah, make the discovery <laughs> then <laughs> just wait till monday after nine <laughs> yeah oh yeah yeah <laughs> Oh, well, I think, as I said, the the stone is now um, in Aberdeen Treasure Hub, which is up in Northfield. Um, so it's accessible to the public. If you just get in touch with us, um, you can make an appointment to come and see it. Um, obviously, because the stone joined our collection late 2019, the pandemic sort of put a little dent in our plans to uh, to get bit, researchers yeah. in. Yeah. yeah. Um, so in the future, we're, we're hoping to get sort of researchers to have a look the... This, because it was in the river, the um, symbols are quite water-worn, so they are quite faint now. Um, so it's quite, now that the stone's dried out as well, it's especially quite difficult to see it without sort of a light shining at a certain angle on them. So it'd be really great to have some researchers in to, to have a good look at, at what we've got there. Yeah, absolutely. Because it, it's things like uh, truly understanding what the, the, the geological origin of the stone is. We can identify that properly, get that nailed down. Is it do we have any local source immediately around the landscape or has it come from a bit further? Um, there, there's all sorts of questions that could be asked, but I think it's also just, um, like I said, the value of people getting to see it. You know, it, this is a rare new find. Um, we should be shouting about it, annoying that the pandemic got in the way and everything else, but we know it's uh, everyone's lives got affected by that. But now we can, you know, say, look, this is something else has come up. Um, and it's a great story in terms of a mystery of, of what it represents and how it's come about and so on. And it's, I, I will personally, I will be eternally grateful to uh, Mr. McWilliams of, for, for taking the time to look down <laughs> when fishing, because <laughs> not everyone of his colleagues perhaps pay attention to what's going on around them uh, by the looks of it. Um, and then taking the time of, of knowing to, to contact, get in contact with sort of, um, the right people and say, I think I found something, you know, it's that that's, amazing and and there will i think the thing i will say is is that um it's not the last one that's been found that's something that i am in the very privileged role i get to do of, of trying to trying to look after and, and manage the the historic environment in the, in the northeast and that is i get to see this stuff as it comes up or or is found or hear about it etc and, and the finds are being made all the time and i think anyone out there listening to the podcast will you know you too while you're out and wandering around, wherever you're wandering around, occasionally have a look down because you never know what you're <laughs> walking past or walking over or what's been eroded out of a bank somewhere or been exposed because of low water levels or been washed up on a beach or whatever. There is always scope for new finds to be made. Absolutely. You just never know what you're going to come across when you're out and about. And no. if anyone does ever come across something, if you contact the team at the museum or, or Bruce's team at Aberdeenshire Council, um, yep. or the university and we all talk to each other and all make sure that everyone's aware of any new discoveries and that we process them in the right way absolutely yes yeah there's there's it's not just the find itself it's the context of where it's been found and i think that's the great thing about this this find from the river and it's part of that research of not just the object itself but trying to understand why it was found where it was found it's i mean we can you know joke about um uh because it was claimed under treasure trove it's a movable object but you know as it was sort of referred to earlier, it required 
crane and, and, and strapping to shift it. It was it's not a light object, it's not a movable object. It's not it hasn't dropped out of someone's pocket as they were walking along the river one day. That has been there <laughs> probably ever since it got erected and it's just at some point it's fallen into the river. No one's ever shifted it. Yeah. So it's yeah, why is it there? Uh, and that helps to understand the story better as well. Absolutely. As as part of the team who moved it into the museum centre, I can vouch it. It's very heavy. <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't uh, wouldn't want like to move it a lot. No, no. <laughs> Absolutely. But how did I mean? I've got. I tell you what, I'm going to reverse the roles. I'm going to ask you a question. How did you move it about? Did you have a little trolley to get it around, or in the museum? So once we, so we had to get a, a flatbed truck to uh, to bring it up from Treasure Trove. So it came up from uh, the National Museum, yeah. and we had a crane to lift it onto a pallet that we'd prepared. So we we do manage to run, move it around on a pallet truck, which is right. yeah. Good. Been, we were yeah. we were a bit worried because it hadn't been weighed, and we didn't have yeah. any equipment that was going to be sufficient to weigh this stone. Yeah. Um, but luckily, the the pallet truck is sufficient. But it, it does make quite a lot of creaks as we move it around. So <laughs> yeah. try not to do it too much. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm glad you get. Yeah, I wouldn't want to do it just by um sheer strength of. <laughs> several individuals <laughs> grunting together to try and get it but yeah no absolutely not i think that's uh not good health and safety guidance no, moving no, definitely not <laughs> no uh well thank you so so much for uh for joining us today bruce to talk about oh, the stone and um, my pleasure it was fond, fond memories <laughs> <laughs> fond memories of getting up in the river in the morning oh yes yeah yeah um but hopefully in future we'll maybe have another chat once we've um had a bit more research done and get some maybe get some researchers to join us next time um Absolutely. if they found out a little bit more about the stone yeah that'd be brilliant looking forward to it all right thank you so much bruce thanks jenny thanks everyone thank you jenny and bruce well, we hope you enjoyed this episode and as Jenny said, if you would like to see the stone in real life, you can book an appointment to visit Aberdeen Treasure Hub where it is now on display. You can also see it if you come along to our Treasure Hub Open Day on Saturday the 26th of November from 11am to 4pm where you can also meet some of the team, enjoy a 30-minute behind-the-scenes tour and discover how we care for the remarkable collection which belongs to all of us in Aberdeen. If you find or discover something when you're out and about, please get in touch with us at AAGM Curators at aberdeencity.gov.uk or Bruce's team at Aberdeenshire Council at archaeology at aberdeenshire.gov.uk Remember to hit that subscribe button to never miss an episode of Gather Round. Until next time, goodbye.